0: You anything about justice here at, at Antioch? <laughs> nah, nah, not much. Uh, here's a justice question for you I saw on the news this morning. Olympic trials been going on in Eugene, kind of cool deal and some amazing performances. One of the things that happened was the women's hundred meter dash, you know fastest woman in the world and all that kind of stuff and they had two competitors people were really really watching. One of them is, I mean, she just was expected to win, and she did. The other one is a woman named Allison Felix. And Allison Felix is the 200-meter world champion three times running. Only this time, she decided to, instead of doubling the 400, she decided she wanted to double in the 100, and she'd been working toward it. And everybody's wondering, can she do it? Well, they ran the race yesterday afternoon, late, or in evening, because it's kind of a feature event down there at Eugene. And when they finished, she wasn't first, and she wasn't second, and she was running really hard for third, and the first three go to London in August. And when she finished, you know how they do, they all run through, and then they look up, where did I meet? And she was fourth. And she just, Put her head down, and a little bit later they asked her, and she said, "This is quote, it hurts. I definitely feel like God has a bigger plan, but we always make plans and think we know best, and sometimes it's just not the case." And as she was doing that interview, she looked back up at the board, and the board had changed because. They went back and they looked at their film, and this is the one where they take 3,000 frames per minute. I mean, it's it, super, super, super high speed. And they determined that she finished the 100-meter dash in 11.068 second, seconds, and that Jennifer Tarmo also finished in 11.068 seconds. They have a dead heat for third place. Okay, quiz. Who goes? Allison Felix, who's already going the 200, or Geneba Tormo, who has never been to the Olympics, has never won a hundred meter dash at this level. Who goes? What does justice look like? How many vote for Allison? How many of you vote for Geneva? How many are really glad that somebody else is deciding this? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know, justice is one of those things. But let's look at the hard part of justice, and that is what happens when there's this incredible injustice. And what do you do when justice has gone awry? and you're angry. And that's what we call imprecatory justice or retributive justice. And that's the point at which, well, distributive justice is when everything is distributed equally. Biblical justice is a factor of a community when all relationships, God, others, self, rest of creation are full of flourishing, shalom, just as God designed them to be. That's justice as we work toward what happens when it goes bad. And one of the things I find as I look at the book of Psalms, which we're going to look at this morning, is that psalms is a book of many moods. So we find one mood, lament, a cry to the Lord out of distress, grounded in trust for who he is. And if you've got a handout there, I've got some other materials in there. That's one key mood in psalms. Another one is praise, praise. Proclaiming the worth of the Lord for who he is and what he does, both in our adoration and in our service. And then there's imprecation we're going to look at today. Angrily begging the Lord to punish evildoers for the sake of his justice. And then there is trust. Emotive celebration of the Lord's goodness and faithfulness, believing he will act graciously. Which one is the most common in Psalms? Which one is the most common in Psalms? Lament. Lament over half the psalms are lament psalms. Praise a lot of them. Trust, of course, is a key mood, but imprecation is too. What happens when things go wrong? This psalm, Psalm 109, is the most difficult psalm, period. This is the booger. And if you've got your phone, flip it over, get your live, because we're going to read it there too, but I want to put it up on the screen. My God whom I praise, do not remain silent, David prays here. For the people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me, they have spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred they surround me, they attack me without cause. In return for my friendship they accuse me, but I'm a man of prayer, they repay the evil for good and hatred for my friendship. And those words, friendship, I mean, if we ch- this is NIV. If we translated those more literally, we'd translate those as love. It's a standard word for love. All the other translations have love. I don't know why NIV went with friendship. And what we're looking at here, what are those last two verses saying? In return for my love, they accuse me. In return for my love, they repay me with evil and hatred. What do we call that? That's betrayal. Betrayal. In Dante, that was the lowest rung of hell was for the betrayers. It's a cardinal sin. And David goes here after these five verses of plurals, he goes to singulars, Appoint someone evil, he says, to oppose my enemies, and and an accuser to stand at his right hand, and when he is tired, let him be found guilty, and may his prayers condemn him. That's an interesting phrase. May his days be few, may another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars, may they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize his all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor, may no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. My gosh. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted from the next generation, skipping down to verse 20, because it keeps going. How can you read that? How can you read that? It's so harsh. But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. Out of goodness of your love, deliver me, for I am poor and needy. Now this sounds better and my heart is wounded within me. I fade away like every evening shadow. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. I am an object of scorn to my accusers, and when they see me, they shake their heads. Help me, Lord, my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. Let them know that I, it is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. While they curse, may you bless. May you, those who attack me, be put to shame. May your servant rejoice, he says. May my accusers be clothed with disgrace and wrapped in shame as in a cloak with my mouth. I will greatly extol the Lord in the great throng of worshipers. I will praise him for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who would condemn them. It's a wrenching. Psalm. It's wrenching. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with this? Especially as a Jesus follower. Well, part of it is a context, of course. You need to be introduced to my grandgirl, Lizzie. This is Lizzie. She's four and a half years old, Elizabeth Ann. Marvelous, marvelous little girl. Here, soundly sleeping. In the arms of the wrong grandfather. <laughs> this is her grandpa Dave, not me. Isn't that a marvelous picture? What would you think if you found out that your grandgirl Lizzie, this cute little girl, miracle baby, was being sexually exploited by her preschool teacher? This is another of my grandgirls, Joy won a tro- trophy at Taekwondo with her dad, David, here, and cute. Oh my gosh, cute, wow. What happened if you found out that her Taekwondo teacher were taking pictures of hers in the shower to sell? Would you be angry? I hope so. See, imprecation When you use that term, it's angrily. Why angry? Because it's wrong when people betray people. It's wrong when these things happen. It's wrong. Lizzie lives in Kansas City. I saw in this morning's paper in Kansas City, because I kind of follow things back there because of Don and Susan and Lizzie, a woman was arrested, 29 years old, because she had three daughters, and all of her neighbors had only seen two daughters. And for reasons that aren't clear in the newspaper report, the social workers sent somebody to do an investigation of the home. And the mother, 29 years old, had left to go to breakfast with her two children and they got the apartment manager to let them into the house, and they found a crib pushed up against a door of a closet, and they went over and knocked on the closet, and said, is anybody here? And they heard a voice that said quietly, fearfully, I'm here. They pulled the crib back, opened the door, and there in a reeking, stinking, filthy closet, was a 10-year-old girl who weighed 32 pounds. A 10-year-old should weigh 70 pounds. And they said, why are you in here? She said, because I mess myself. And you can fill in the gaps. If that doesn't make you angry, something is really wrong. Angrily, 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 begging the Lord, begging him, God, wrong, to punish the evildoer. Stop it! A 29 year old mother doing this to her child? For the sake of justice, stop it! Not for the sake of just any justice, for the sake of his justice. Stop. What is imprecur- imprecatory praying? Well, that's what it is. What are imprecatory prayers? Well, they're a cry of anguish. The pain. And the closer you are to the person, the deeper the pain. It's a deep, deep agony that can't be ignored. What do you do with it? A lot of people turn it inward and it becomes depression. And it contaminates everything you are. Turn it outward, well that's not right either. What do you do? It's a call for the Lord's justice rather than personal vengeance when we're doing it right. Because it's not just me wanting to get my pain out on the person. It's me realizing that my pain is an expression of His justice and I call for His justice because it's a prayer that I offer to a God of love and justice and holiness. And what I'm looking for is fundamentally vindication when it's against me. Now, I'm not a, a famous guy like Ken. Bloggers don't take shots at me particularly. But boy, do they ever do it to higher up kind of guys. And the prayer is for vindication rather than vindictive. So instead of attacking back, You look to God for vindication. This is what imprecation is about. It goes on. Look at this. This is the hardest part of that entire psalm, isn't it? Because I get having the evildoer be punished. I get that. In fact, I want it. Or I want him healed. I want her corrected. But what about the last two verses here on the slide? Verses 8, 9, 10. May his children be fatherless. May his children be wandering beggars. I get the evildoer, but why his kids? Why pray to God that his kids would be starving? Now, this is inspired scripture. This is not just Gary's stuff coming out. I think, I think, the answer is, I think the answer is this. I think what David is praying here is that he is praying, may this evil doer experience what he is causing others to experience. I don't think he's praying against the kids. I think what he's doing is praying, may this man who causes others pain feel the pain that he is causing others. I think that's what David is praying. Words are hard. Why? Because they come out of the awfulness of an unjust, pain-filled, injustice-saturated world which Jesus came to live for. This is prayed by David. And David, we know, is fundamentally, deeply a man with a huge passion for justice. If there's anything else that characterizes David's life, it is this passion for justice. But David is also... Uh, David is also a man who lived a life of mercy. It comes up in so many different ways. I've got some references there in the handout. One of them, 1 Samuel 26, when his friend Jonathan died, Mephibosheth was the heir, and David went looking for him to show him kindness and mercy when he was being driven out of town by his rebellious son Absalom, instead of staying and fighting a civil war for Jerusalem, which would have destroyed the town, he chose to leave and give the town to Absalom, his betraying son. And as he was leaving, Shammai called curses upon him. And David's general, uh, Abishai, said, let me kill him. And David said, no. No. Enough killing. And Shammai threw rocks at David as he's walking up the Kidron Valley wall. This is a man of deep mercy who's praying Psalm 109. We have to understand that. What kind of a God are we talking about? For God what? So loved what? The world. Who's in the world? Not just nice people like us, but evildoers like them, Right? No evildoers here this morning. God loves the evildoer. So what we find is that we're praying the heart of the Lord who both loves and, and this is the hard part, Psalm 11, the Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked those he, who love violence, what does it say? He hates with a passion. Does God hate evildoers? He does. I see all kinds of people who take this verse and say, well, I didn't mean hate. It means that he just doesn't kind of, isn't as nice to them as he is. To. No, it means hate. That's what it means. Does God hate evildoers? Yes. Yes. But see the thing it is, it's both love and hates evildoers. How much does he love the desperate evildoer? He loves them enough to die for them. He loves them enough to come and experience their evil against Him in its entirety. Love and hate. Because whenever we do imprecation, we have to get this together. This is Exodus 34. That should be 34, not 3. Exodus 34 is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. The Bible quotes itself all the time. This is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible which is a way of saying it's the most important verse in the Bible. And what does it say about Yahweh our God? What's the first characteristic of Yahweh our God? Compassion. Or if you're reading some other translation, it'll translate as mercy. The number one first stated attribute of Yahweh is compassion. What does it mean? I feel, I care. And gracious means I help. It goes on slow to anger, abounding in love and faith, maintaining maintaining love to thousands, forgiving, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So when you look at this, he forgives freely. He forgives freely. Absolutely. But it doesn't stop there. Exodus 34 goes on. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, but does not leave the guilty unpunished. For those who reject his compassion... The guilty remain in their guilt, and that guilt does not go unpunished. See, there's forgiveness available freely for anybody through Jesus Christ our Lord. But for those who refuse that and continue their evil ways, there is punishment. That's that mix, love and hates. Now, I wish the verse stopped where I stopped reading. It does not leave the guilty unpunished. It keeps going. How about that next phrase? He visits the iniquity of the fathers on whom? On the children. To the third and even the fourth generation. Now Again, we've got that same problem. What's the deal here? What's the deal? Do the sins of the fathers come down on the children? Well, of course they do. We know about drug babies, crack babies, alcohol, fetal, fetal alcohol syndrome, a addicted mom uses and her unborn baby is traumatized by her drug use. Yes, we know that. We know the impact of fathers who beat their children and their brain development is messed up by their lack of trust. We know about those things, but it's more than that. It's not just the social and familial consequences of sin here. It's bigger than that. The way I understand this is what happened when Sherry and I were in Denver. I was managing part buildings. We were managing apartment buildings while I was in seminary. And we rented apartment 103 to a really nice couple, mom, dad, two little kids, cute kids. Oh my gosh, they were so cute and they like to play with our kids, though our kids are a little bit older. They were a perfect family to rent to. Paid the rent on time, quiet, friendly, got along well with the neighbors, loved them. And one day a police officer came and knocked on my door. And I don't really like it when police officers knock on my door. And he said, can you take me down to 103? I said, yeah, I can do that. Went down, knocked on the door, making the long story a little shorter. He arrested the father. This nice man turned out to be a drug dealer. And that was the way he was supporting his family and paying his rent, was dealing drugs. Now, do you want drug dealers arrested? Please say yes. Yeah, thank you. But what happened as the police led him away in handcuffs? Here is his wife, who I believe did not know really what her husband was doing, and two preschool children who now have no means of support whatsoever, none, zero. Is the iniquity of the fathers visited upon the innocent family members? Same thing happens. That's what it's talking about. His love and grace goes to thousands. But when he punishes the evildoer, when he does justice, it can hurt innocent people because we live in units. Can we pray imprecatory prayers today? Derek Kidner, one of the best commentators on Psalms, says this, to the question, can a, question, can a Christian use these cries for vengeance of his own? The answer, short answer must surely be no. Absolutely not. No. Our instructions are to pray not against them, but for them. To repay their evil with good and to choose none of their ways, Derek Kidner says. Let me think with you a little bit. This is Isaiah 61, a passage I hope you know well. A messianic prophecy, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And that phrase begins to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. Isaiah says, Jesus quotes this in Luke chapter 4 as he begins his ministry there in Nazareth. And when he quotes it, he leaves off the day of vengeance of our Lord. He stops with the year of the Lord's favor. Does that mean there is no vengeance now? No. It means favor always precedes vengeance. Vengeance is postponed because this is the day of forgiveness, this is the day of grace, this is the day of redemption. Forgiveness is still coming, but it's postponed. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Is that a command to us? Absolutely. Love your enemy. How so? As Jesus did, who left all the comforts of heaven to come and experience all the hardness of abuse. We pray Jesus taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done on earth that is in heaven. That's our prayer. Lord, may your justice be rained down like waters. Absolutely. But what does it mean when his kingdom comes? It means the dominion of darkness will be destroyed. Jesus, Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, hypocrites, and he goes on here in Matthew 23. Jesus spoke woe to Pharisees, not just love. He spoke love first, but also woe. Matthew 24, the parable of the vine growers at the end of this chapter. Suppose the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. Then he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come at a day when he does not expect and an hour he is not aware of and he, the master, will cut him to pieces and assign him a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus speaks woe and proclaims vengeance to evildoers. This is our Lord Jesus. And we're commanded to be like him him. Peter and Paul actually quote Psalm 109. Peter applies it to Judas in Acts chapter 1. Paul applies it to Israel in Romans 11. Psalm 109 is quoted and applied in the New Testament to evildoers. Galatians 1. Who did Galatians 1? Paul. Inspired scripture. If anybody's preaching a gospel other than what you've accepted, let him be under God's curse. What do we call that? That's an imprecatory prayer. Paul is doing imprecation. May we pray imprecatory prayers? I think the answer actually is yes. (laughs) But, there's always a but, isn't there? Always a but. Yes, but, remember God loves and hates the evildoer. God dies for and destroys the evildoer. Our Lord Jesus Christ washed the feet of Judas, the betrayer, knowing that he would betray him. 1 Peter 2, honor how many people? <laughs> At the Justice Conference, Miroslav Volf really challenged me with this passage. Honor everyone. And that verse ends with honor the king. Who's the king when Peter wrote this? Probably a guy named what? Nero, one of the most evil men that's ever ruled, period. Honor, what does that mean? Speak well of honor everyone. We pray imprecatory prayers only if we're also honoring everyone. Boy, is that a challenge. That doesn't mean to deny their evil. But there's an honor required there. Honor everyone. Matthew ch- ch- chapter 5, blessed are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So we have to do mercy. In precatory prayer, God break their teeth and Doing mercy to them. (laughs) Wait a minute. If you forgive other people, then your sin, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your sins will not be forgiven. So we do forgiveness. We pray imprecatory prayers. God, may their guts be eaten by worms. I've got all kinds of prayers. They're actually in the Bible. And then I've suggested a few to God that he should add to his Bible. But I also have to honor and do mercy and forgiveness. What a challenge. Ephesians chapter 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others according to the needs that it may benefit those who listen. So some lessons that I draw out of this as we think together. Imprecatory prayers, angrily, 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 begging God to stop, punish the evildoer for the sake of his justice. One of the things that's important here, I think, is to remember that as we look at the Psalms as a whole, as we look at the Psalms as a whole, that being guilty, unfocused, and angry is qualification for prayer just as much as feeling peace, joy, and trust. See, when I'm really upset, it seems to me that what I should do is calm down, then pray. Because if I take my anger and my upset into God's presence, He may get ticked off at me. But see, when I read the Psalms, especially Psalms like Psalm 109, feel a little more confident to come into the presence of the Most High God with the fullness of my raw emotion. How do you do with that? How do you do it? taking raw emotion before God, deep anguish before the Lord of glory? It just doesn't feel right to me. I feel like my prayers should be worshipful and adoration and praying for somebody else or even praying for my own needs, but somehow coming in with anger or betrayal or depression or just pain doesn't seem right as a prayer, which speaks to my immaturity as a person if I'm reading the Psalms accurately. I don't, I've written this up here, I don't know In my heart, I believe it. You know there are beliefs that I tell you I believe because I want you to like me? There There are beliefs that I think I believe, but then there are real beliefs that are buried down deep that really drive my life. I don't know that I believe down deep in my heart what I've written up here, but I'd like to. I'd like to. I just know that my anger really, really hurts other people so I try to take those angry emotions and channel them toward doing good rather than expressing them even to God. Imprecatory prayer means that I have to be honest with God as Jesus was in the garden where he brought his anguish and his complete overwhelm with rawness to the Father. It's a lesson to think about. A second point is this one in Job express your anguish to the Lord with his people? Because prayer in this kind of thing should be done with a friend. It should be done with a priest. A priest isn't somebody with a reverse collar or somebody's ordained or something like that. A priest is any other believer in Jesus Christ whom you trust. And I think our anguish is best expressed with a priest to help us do that. I just did this recently with a woman who had been raped. And she had spiritual work that needed to be done. And I got the privilege of being her priest as she poured her heart out to Jesus. There's nothing in the world I'd less like to do than to listen to woman talk about being raped. But in God's good grace, I got to be her priest and support her and help her find forgiveness and cleansing and hear God's word come to her, a word of amazing, amazing cleansing in her life. Because she was willing to pour her heart out to God. Of the most agonizing thing I could imagine happening. Express your anger to God, seeking comfort. See, sometimes we pour our anguish and we're just practicing being more angry. And that's not what this is talking about. We're seeking comfort from the Lord, Second Corinthians chapter 1. Believing that he comforts those so that then we can comfort others because we're looking really for the Spirit's power to bless others. Because we take that comfort we've gotten from him and from that we comfort others, Second Corinthians 1, 5, 6. One of my 74 life verses. Third point, as I think about it. We're going to start at my church, Grace Community Church over in Gresham, next week talking about Job. Why in the world I agreed to let them do that? I don't know. Why in the world I suggested that as a possible sermon series is really beyond me. Because the question there of how come God decides to take Satan seriously enough to put Job what he put through is a question I still can't answer. Why didn't God just... Flick him off the table, and I don't know the answer to that. So I'm very glad that Jay will be preaching that first sermon and not me. But that Job chapter one ends with verse 22. I mean, he sings from the song there. The Lord has given, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, God, Job, did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And something I think that's important is to be angry along with, not at the Lord who gives us assurance of his final justice. This one is a biggie. This one is a biggie. I hear a lot of people say, yeah, be angry at God, he's big enough to take it. That's true, but God is not the one who hurt you. And when you take the anger that should be directed at another person, or another circumstance and direct at God, what you do is push away the God of all grace. How do you be angry along with God who is also angry at the evil and the brokenness and the cancer, or whatever's happening? Scripture assures us that he is angry at that. There's a very narrow balance there to be maintained. A fourth point, if your brother and sister sins, what should you do? You should go to that person and speak with them. Do it wisely and well, do not go to a an abuser and tell him, you abuse me, this is a bad thing. You know, do it wisely and well. If he doesn't hear, take a couple other wise ones. If he doesn't, take it to the church. And what this is saying here in Matthew 18, fundamentally, is to refuse the role of being a victim. Because that's what the enemy wants us to do when we're the ones who receive abuse, is just to be the victim. Que Sarah No, we have a role to do. Seek help, seek justice. But also, do not take revenge. Romans chapter 12 says, Do not take revenge, but leave looms for God's wrath, for it is written to my will, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So we neither take the role of victim, nor the role of personal avenger. How you get between those two is always a challenge. Get help from a wise and spirit-led friend. A fifth point, Romans chapter 12. This marvelous passage ends, verse 12, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, what we tend to do in these kinds of things is we tend to take that evil and punch back. Or we play the role of victim and do nothing. What he says is overcome evil with good. How do you do that? I'll give you the precise theological answer. I don't know. (laughs) But that's the goal. 1 Peter chapter 3, finally all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Sound like Exodus 34, doesn't it? Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, Peter says. Because this your call that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love his life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. And this last verse is just haunting. For the eyes of the Lord upon the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who... Evil. When I think of this whole topic of injustice, imprecation, seeking justice, all those things, it's so complicated. But you know what I find at the end of the day? I find we're called to be a community of justice. I find we're called to be a community that's coming together to do good. I find we're called to be a community who will go to the evildoer and bring mercy to them but also the news of Jesus Christ which includes the reality of final justice. We are always going to be the ones who are seeking evil, but when we're at that point, when our pain is high, we take that pain to the Lord. And we cry out to Him in the pain-driven anger, Lord. And sometimes that will come out with very harsh words that we express to the Lord because He too is against evil, but He overcomes it where He can, where we receive it with His good. May we be like our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of who you are. With your compassion and grace, You are slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness, faithfulness, forgiving, wickedness, sin, rebellion. We're glad for that because we need that forgiveness, but give us the confidence that you do not leave the guilty unpunished. Lord, we pray that your kingdom will come and it will come quickly. Lord Jesus Christ, do your good work, but until that day, give us the confidence and power of your spirit and Holy Spirit work in us individually in this community that we'll be justice seekers in everything we do by the name and the power of the Lord of glory, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.